Well, we are in a new preaching series starting today. Um, the cover of your bulletin will will uh, will show that we've got a a nice uh, artwork there. It's green, which is the color of the season. We're grateful that Dan found his stole, or rather Heidi did. It was hiding in the back, so now we're coordinated with our colors up here. Um, Green is the season for epiphany, and the image on the bulletin shows light breaking through a forest and illuminating the grassy knoll. And this is, as I look through the lectionary, which are the prescribed readings, a common theme within them was revealed, Christ revealed, something about God's nature being revealed. The scriptures will jump kind of all over the place. We're not going to be preaching chronologically through any particular book, but all of the scriptures for Epiphany are about the manifestation of Christ. That's what Epiphany means, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles in particular, but to all of us Jews as well. So this series is going to show us some things about Jesus, and as Jesus said to Philip one time, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's not a cult of Jesus, so to speak. It is about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian God. The Spirit points us to Jesus, and Jesus points us to the Father, and therefore we understand who God is. The passage for today from John chapter 1 deals with the topic of identity. So that's what we're going to be looking at, the, the, the concept of identity. And that is so incredibly relevant for us today. I don't know a single person in any age bracket that does not still wrestle in some ways with the question of identity. I had dinner um, this week with another, um, Heather and I had a double date with another uh, family and they're, they're raising kids as well. And we spent a lot of time asking the question of who are our kids? Where should they go to college? What should they pursue as a career? And it's, it's a hard question to answer. If you want to irritate like a 12th grader, ask them what they're going to do with their life. <laughs> what are you going to study in college? What do you want to do for a career? And it's such a hard question because so few really can know. Ask somebody midlife about their career. Do they feel like they're doing what they were supposed to do? And there's always a hesitation. Very rarely, occasionally, there'll there'll be somebody you'll meet that goes, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to. But a lot of times people are not sure. Or they'll say, well, you know, I've been at this so long, I'm making too much money now to change and start over, but what I'd really like to be is X. Or people in a retirement phase are asking the question of significance. You know, I spent my life for decades doing this. Did it matter? Was it important? Was it the right thing? Could I have done something else? Now, these are related to identity, but particularly I'm speaking to careers, but identity is even bigger than that. Who am I as a person? How am I different than another person? What are, what are the gifts, uh, my temperament, all those different things? It's all related to identity. And I believe this, that if we get our spiritual identity sorted, then all those things about personal career and personal gifts and ambitions and the choices we make, all of those will have so much more freedom. We really are free to choose. As Paul says, in Christ, all things are permissible. Not all are beneficial, but all are permissible. And there's a freedom in Christ. And if we understand who God says we are, then those choices don't have this heavy weightiness, like I'm wasting my life if I'm doing the wrong thing, or there's something else I could be doing that would be better. No, I'm satisfied because God says who I am, and therefore I can, I can pursue what seems good to the Holy Spirit and to me in prayer, and I'm going to go after that with a, a confidence. So on the topic of identity, from this text today, I'd like to look at John the Baptist's identity, then I'd like to look at what it shows us about Jesus's identity, and then what it means for us and our identity. So let's start with John the Baptist. 
The little passage that I'm focusing on is John 1, 29 through 34, but it's in a broader context. And I noticed as I studied this week that that little uh, section of verses, twice in there, John says, I didn't know him. I didn't know who Jesus was. And I thought that was odd because they were cousins. We remember the stories, the accounts of his birth and Jesus' birth. When John the Baptist was six months uh, in utero, Jesus was conceived in Mary, and then she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And the, the baby leapt. John the Baptist leapt in her womb when she saw the mother of Christ come. So they probably grew up together in different interactions and knew, he knew who Jesus was as a person. The question was, what is his role as a Messiah? What is the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? And he had, he had questions about that. I didn't know, it says in verse 31 and 33. The role of the Messiah was unclear to John. Even when he's in prison, he sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the one we're supposed to wait for? Or is there someone else? He was, he was doubting. He was questioning. I think in that moment, he stopped beholding Jesus and started looking at the jail cell he was in and his pending death. And that would be disconcerting to all of us. And so he started to get unclear. He also says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. Now, in that culture, feet were uh, like untouchable. It was, it was against the rules for a Jewish servant to wash someone's feet other than their own. So that was only for the Gentiles to do. And um, feet were dirty. They, you know, they, they had open sandals. They walked on dirty uh, streets all the time, and they needed to wash their feet because they were so dirty, but it was just an untouchable thing. He, sa- he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Is that false humility? I, or is it just he's elevating the significance of who Christ is? It seems to me in this passage that John has a, a lesser appreciation of how great and important his ministry actually is. Later, Jesus, in that same interaction when, when he sends people to, uh, from prison, when John sends people from prison to Jesus, he says this. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is, has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John's saying, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then when he's asked who he is, he says, I'm a voice calling in the wilderness. But he doesn't seem to have much attention to the fact that he's the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to call all of the people of Israel back to repentance to prepare for this. That's an important role. And he just doesn't seem to acknowledge it. Now, um, I was reading or I was listening to a, a talk that Tim Keller from New York City gave on the topic of identity and on some of this stuff. And he made an interesting point on identity. People who do not have a full assessment of themselves um, do, don't have a full assessment because of one of two things. Either they are so focused on themselves that they only see the flaws and are self-critical. So people might come and give you a compliment, but if you're so self-focused, you can't even take it and just say, thank you, I'm really proud of that, or whatever. You, you, you deflect the compliment and then you tear yourself down because you're so f- self-focused that all you can see are your flaws. You can't, you're, not, you're not getting the big enough picture to see, 
well, this is who God has made me, and this is what I'm doing, and, and this, is who, this is how I fit in culture, in society, in my family, in my work, whatever. You, the, you don't see the forest because of the trees. You're only looking at yourself. So you don't have an accurate self-assessment. You've become myopic. The other way is you're not looking at yourself at all. You're so transfixed on something else that you're paying no attention. And I think that's the case with John the Baptist here. He was so caught up in focusing on the Messiah, on who is this, and the, the Lamb of God, that he really didn't pay much um, attention to himself at all. And so it wasn't false humility. It just, he wasn't even looking at himself. He was only looking at Christ. And so what we see is him play down his role, but really boldly play up the role of Jesus. So we, he's able to be, at the same time, really humble and really bold in his witness. And that's an interesting dichotomy, or it's an interesting balance to see that. So <clears throat> the um, questioners are sent by the Pharisees, it tells us in the section right before this, out into the wilderness to ask John the Baptist, who are you? That, that age-old question of identity, who are you? And they were offended because he was baptizing people. And for the Jews, he was baptizing the Jews, not just the Gentile dogs who were trying to to convert into Judaism, you know, you have to wash the evil dirt off of those people. But he was calling the Jews to be baptized for repentance, symbolic washing, acknowledging that we're all sinners. He was calling all of Israel to acknowledge that they are sinners and need a savior. And crowds, hordes of people were going out there because the Holy Spirit was stirring this thing up. And they were jealous, the Pharisees were jealous, and they were curious, but not curious enough to go themselves. So they send some messengers, and these messengers come and say, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. Well, then are you Elijah, they say. He, he says, no. The reason they ask about Elijah is if you go to your Old Testament, and you go to the very last section, in fact, the last two verses of the Old Testament, it says, behold, I send my servant Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's how the Old Testament ends. It ends like an unresolved note is just hanging there. Elijah's coming. 400 years go by before John the Baptist shows up. But he says, no, I'm not Elijah. And now they're trying to, they're, lim they're checking off lists, right? They're trying to eliminate. And they say, well, are you the prophet? By that, they're referring to Deuteronomy 18, when Moses said, God will send a prophet like me, a greater prophet than Moses. And he was pointing ahead to Christ as well. So you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet You've got, to, you've got to give us something to take back to the people that have sent us. What do you say about yourself? Obviously, obviously, John the Baptist has been reading in Isaiah quite a bit because he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He says, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, which is a direct quote from Isaiah 40. That's who he says. He said, I'm a voice. It's a great answer. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I like the grammatical um, uh, question there. Is it, is the voice in the wilderness? You can read it both ways. I'm the voice in the wilderness saying prepare the way, or I'm a voice saying in the wilderness prepare a way. Both would be true because he was literally out in the desert around the, the, the region that was very remote by the Jordan River. But it also spiritually speaks of the fact that we, apart from the Savior, are in a desert. In your life, in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord. So I like the dual reading of it. And it can go either way. And I think it's, it's helpful that John worded it that way because you can take it both ways and we should. So in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord. He's a voice crying out. 
John's identity, it was humble about himself, but bold about Jesus. Now let's see about Jesus' identity and what we see there. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, I didn't know him. But the Lord helped him out. The Lord helped John the Baptist out and had given him a prophetic word that the one on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, that's the one. He's the Lamb of God. Now, um, we don't have in John's gospel an account of the baptism. It's in the other, in the synoptics, but we have a testimony about it because John the Baptist was the one who baptized him. And we know from the other accounts that the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descended and rested and remained upon Jesus. And then we heard an affirmation of Jesus' identity from the Father. This is my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And John witnessed that. And because the Holy Spirit had given him a word ahead of time that this is, this is what it was going to look like, he went, ah, there's, that's the one I've been waiting for. So he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, where did he get the idea of the Lamb of God? Well, again, if you're reading in Isaiah, which he was, the famous burning heart of Scripture, which is Isaiah 53, says something very interesting using the the metaphor of sheep and lambs. And um, it says that, uh, speaking, speaking of this suffering servant of Isaiah, who, whatever that suffering servant was going to be, and John wasn't quite sure, but it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent." It spoke of Jesus, the suffering servant of God, coming as the Lamb of God to go before the cross silently, willingly. Now, they, they would have known about the Passover feast because the Jews did that every year. It was the, the big feast commemorating the, the exodus out of Egypt through the Red Sea and how God, he struck down the firstborn of every household but spared the Israelites. And the reason he spared the Israelites is because struck, they struck down a lamb in the place of their firstborn. It was a, a propitiation, a perfect offering. It made atonement temporarily for their sin so that they wouldn't have to pay the penalty of sin. And what happens with the Lamb of God, Jesus, is he perfectly pays that. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a once-for-all-time offering. So Jesus takes away sin, but that's not enough for us. That's actually not enough. We need more. It's not just to take away our guilt, but we need help to live the life we were supposed to live. And so in this passage, we see two things. We see the Lamb of God who takes away sin, and he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, symbolic of sin and washing. But then the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believer and empowers for this life. There's a lot of confusion about that word baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people think that, the, that you don't have the Holy Spirit until you manifest something. But what the scriptures are very clear about is no one says Christ is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christian, you have been, you've become a Christian because the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you have welcomed the Lord into your life by repenting of sin and accepting Christ as the Lord. In that moment and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the thing is, you don't always walk in the fullness of the Spirit. We're leaky vessels. We, we need to be refilled over and over again. 
And, and I think it's interesting, too, how Jesus, when he said, I will send the Holy Spirit, the, the, the comforter, the helper to you, after he rose, but before he had ascended to heaven, he got around the disciples in John chapter 20, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he went, like that. It would have been really weird. And he blew on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was there and, and came in part and they immediately started to pray. They prayed for the next, well, from the time he goes up to heaven for the next um, period until Pentecost. So for 10 more days, they're in constant prayer. And then the Holy Spirit comes in fullness again upon them. And then they're empowered for this life and ministry. And you read through Acts over and over again, they are, it says like Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, implying that there are times when maybe he wasn't walking in the Spirit. And the same is true for us. We have the Holy Spirit within us, but we're not always walking in that power that we've been given. And so we have to turn and say, come Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me for this ministry, empower me for this thing that, that, is, um, that is presented before me. So Jesus takes away sin and he gives the Holy Spirit. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That's the piece in here about his identity. Now, our identity you know, some things, some things that will help us have our spiritual identity sorted so then we can handle all those other lesser identities of career and temperament and relationships and pursuits and ambitions and all that stuff. First of all, you've got to see that you are loved. This passage says you are loved. It says it because the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. You could jump over to chapter 3. For God send, sent his only begotten Son, he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You are loved. And because you are loved, you can overcome life's letdowns. You can suffer a personal failure and not go into total despair because God says, I love you. Hearing that is, it, it empowers you. It enables you. You also are forgiven. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Your guilt is taken away. Even as Psalm 40 said, your guilt is taken away. And so that's a done deal. And so when you drift, and when I drift from faithfulness, let's be quick to turn back. Don't stay there groveling and, you know, failing to forgive yourself when the Lord has already forgiven you. Repent and turn right back. The quicker you get back to him, the better. You're already forgiven. That's what this tells us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Third, you have a power source, the Holy Spirit. You should often say, come Holy Spirit, fill me. Invite the Holy Spirit's power and presence in your life over and over again daily throughout the day. Another thing is you actually know more than John the Baptist, which is so interesting. I didn't read the whole verse from Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's Jesus talking about there? John had no idea about the cross. He died before the crucifixion. He didn't see the resurrection. He saw it from a heaven heaven's perspective, but he didn't in this life see it. You and I know the whole story. We know more about the identity of Jesus. We know in this life more about Jesus than John knew in his life about Jesus. So in a sense, we are greater than he. That's a really powerful thing. And then finally, you now have a witness to give. There actually is some responsibility on us. Because of what God has done for us, 
he asks us to be his witnesses. He expects us to go and tell how much God has done for us. I love the account of Jesus healing the man that's out with 6,000 demons in him, like it was frightening, and he was by these tombs. And after Jesus casts them out, he's in his right mind and dressed, and he really wants to follow Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus, and he says, no, go back to your family and your friends. Go back in the town and tell them how much God has done for you. He has a witness to give. You and I have a witness to give. And all of that comes from beholding the Lamb of God. Beholding. That word, as Dan shared in the front of the service, it's not just glance at. Think about an art gallery. If you go to an art gallery and look at famous works of art, you can't do justice to them by just walking down the hallway to see each one. You have to stop and look at it. You have to, to behold it, you have to ask questions. Notice the brush strokes. What was the artist trying to do with the light? What was the artist thinking or feeling as they put this together? What emotions does, does it elicit from me? Do I, do I like the colors? Is there a story happening in here? What are the different parts? I mean, there's so many questions you can ask of art. You have to behold it though. You can't just fly past it. He's saying, behold the Lamb of God. And as we do, we understand who he is, and then we understand who we are and our identity underneath that, in him. We're going to go to his table in a little bit. That's also about identity. We are welcomed at his table. We belong to him. We are in Christ. Let's behold him in his goodness, and let's pray to him. Well, Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for calling us despite our unworthiness. Lord, would you help us to behold you? Open our eyes to see good things. Drive us, draw us into your word. We need you, Lord, and we are so prone to wander. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.